And it's harder to have churn. You know, I don't want to work with someone for one month or two months or three months and have them leave. That sucks. That sucks for everybody. So I'd rather talk to people and try to develop a long-term relationship. This is the What Works Podcast, and I'm your host, Tara McMullen. If you want to build a business that can stand the test of time, you need to figure out what works for you and your small company. That's why every week I talk with real small business owners about what's really working for them. I want to help you fill in all the details of how others do what they do so you can fill in the details that work for you. My guest this week is Jess Ostroff, the founder and director of Calm at Don't Panic Management. Don't Panic Management is the first virtual assistant agency to embody a people-first approach to virtual assistant success. Since 2011, she's been making matches between chaotic, overworked entrepreneurs and focused Calm virtual assistants. Their services span administrative assistance to marketing support. Jess's book, Panic Proof, How the Right Virtual Assistant Can Save Your Sanity and Grow Your Business, was released in January 2018. When she's not speaking, writing, or researching productivity hacks, you can find Jess trying new recipes, tasting wine, searching for the next great music festival to attend, or playing with her labradoodle hummus. I wanted to find out more about how Jess vets both the clients who seek Don't Panic services and the VAs who provide those services. We took a deep dive through those vetting processes, plus how Jess has identified the red flags that mean someone just isn't a good fit. Pay close attention to how Jess has operationalized those red flags, the systems she uses to measure gut reactions against objective facts, and the key values she looks for in both clients and virtual assistants. Now, let's find out what works for Jess Ostroff. Jess Ostroff, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to you. Yeah, I am really excited for this conversation too, because like I said, I think this is this topic is one that so many people run into and have so many questions about. And I have a hunch that you have a really, really good process for this. So we're going to talk about noticing, spotting, paying attention to red flags. And I want to set the stage for this conversation by just first having you tell us a little bit more about what Don't Panic Management does, how it works, and who you work with there. Absolutely. Don't Panic Management was officially started by me in 2011. I had been freelancing as a virtual assistant for about a year and a half. And for for those of you who don't know what a virtual assistant is or does, it's, it's basically the kind of work that any sort of administrative assistant could do, but it's all done on the internet. And in, in addition to sort of the admin type tasks like scheduling meetings and booking travel and doing data entry and things like that, I also had a background in marketing. So I started doing more marketing type assistant services like producing podcasts, for example, or um, writing blog posts or helping people with their email newsletters. And so now with Don't Panic, those are all the kinds of things that we provide to our clients. And a lot of them are solopreneurs or entrepreneurs that have small teams. Um, we also work within, within big companies, like oftentimes in their marketing department, they need some extra support with content creation, for example, or with you know podcast production. And so so they'll hire us as an extra arm, you know, to their business. And it's usually people who need, you know, they don't need a full-time assistant. A lot of times they work out of their home or out of their coffee shop or whatever. And so they don't want someone sitting next to them <laughs> per se. They'd rather have someone that they can count on who's uh, wherever. And as long as they can communicate that with them via email or phone, they can get the work done. You know, obviously we can't necessarily bring you uh, your morning Starbucks every day but we can do almost anything else. And so it's usually most of our clients work with us between five and 25 hours a week. Um, they can combine services. You know, they can have five hours of scheduling help, five hours of content creation help, things like that. And so it's nice for people, um, what, I, what I've learned from and what my clients have said is that it's, it's nice for them to sort of have a one-stop shop where they can count on things getting done on time and well. Um, they can have a writer, they can have an admin assistant, and it's all sort of under one roof, if you will. Although we are not under one roof, we are also virtual, <laughs> people all over the country. So uh, yeah, so it's, that, it's been really great. People are starting to understand more of the value of virtual assistance. And so that's really exciting for me. Nice. And so do you 
match clients up with um, a VA, regardless of you know what special to the specialty they're in, and then they work together closely, or, or are your clients working with you as a management agency, and then you're parsing out that work? Mm-hmm. So what we try to do with our clients is understand not only what their needs are in terms of day-to-day tasks, but also what their personality type is, how they like to communicate, whether they want someone to respond to an email and say, yep, I've got this, or whether they don't want to hear anything until the project is done. Those little things are really important for us to determine, okay, who do we have sort of in our corral of virtual assistants that might be a good fit. And once we make that match, and you know, ideally it's perfect, but Mm -hmm. it's not always, you know, sometimes we don't get it quite right, which is fine because we have other people on the team that can chip in. What we try to do is we're a little more hands-on from the management side in the first one to three months, but our goal is to be able to set the VA and their client loose and just work together. Now, if the client needs to have access to multiple assistants, for example, like I said, maybe they want an admin person, but the admin person doesn't have the same kind of writing skills as a writer on our team might have. So they might have two different people that they're working with, but we try to ease the the friction of that and not force them to manage two people. Instead, we would manage those two people or the admin person that they're most likely in, in higher contact with would be the one that would deliver the blog posts, for example. So they'd be like, hey, I scheduled these three meetings and also here's your weekly blog post post for review. So we try to make it as seamless as possible. And it's definitely our goal for our assistants to to have that relationship with their clients, but also have us there as a backup and as a project management sort of support if and when, you know, something happens, emergency, or they've got a family thing going on, or if they just want to take vacation, we provide backup support um, on the management side so that the client doesn't experience any sort of lapse in service. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, It also sounds like probably your business model then works where you're the one that's handling all the billing, all the invoicing, and you're probably taking a percentage off the top. Is that Exactly. Exactly. And that's why a lot of virtual assistants want to work with us. Because first of all, yeah, we're doing all the paperwork, we're doing all the invoices, we're doing any sort of expenses, basically all the admin stuff that comes with running a business, we are handling for them so that all they have to do really is the work. And ultimately, that's kind of how I started. Mm-hmm. I, w- I just wanted to do the virtual assistant work. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of accidentally started this company because I was getting more work than I could handle myself. And so I started hiring my own you know, assistants to help me. And then I realized, oh, wait, I have to pay taxes. Oh, wait, I have to do all these contracts. Oh, wait, I need an LLC. So, you know, I sort of learned on the fly um, what to do. But a lot of these assistants don't want to deal with any of that. They just want to be a really great virtual assistant and they want us to do the rest. Um, The other thing about what we do is we, because we have a reputation in the industry, um, we're, we often get clients just from referrals and from word of mouth. So for these assistants who don't have their own brand or their own presence, basically it, it alleviates the need for them to source their own clients. We get the clients, we match them, and yes, we take a percentage, but they're still making the same amount or close to the same amount that they would be making on their own. Yeah, and they get to spend all their the they get to spend their time on billable work instead of exactly. all of those things that aren't billable. That's right. an incredible service to people. Um, and it sounds like it's an incredible service to your clients too. Yeah. Um, speaking of your clients, well, and the, the VAs that you work with, you told me that you're extremely particular, particular mm-hmm. about who you work with. So what or who constitutes the perfect kind of client for Don't Panic? Yeah. So in the beginning, I will say that, you know, it's 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, the virtual assistant thing wasn't huge. And I could, I could just 
work with anybody pretty much, you know, and anybody who wanted to work with a VA could work with me. And, and that was all well and good. But now that it's become more competitive and there are a lot of options for people hiring virtual assistants, we really had to differentiate ourselves. And, and our differentiation factor that we determined was our value, um, the high value that we provide. So um, all of our assistants are college educated and they're all US based, which is which is big for for some people. Yeah. Um, a lot of our our prospects come to us because they've had a bad experience with somebody else, which is really too bad because I it it puts a dent in uh in the industry as a whole. You know the reputation of virtual assistants as a whole, and so I'm always sad to hear when you know people paid someone for work and then they disappeared off the face of the planet and they can't get a hold of them. And <laughs> so a lot of times people come to us when they've just like had it. They're just like I want. To be able to trust someone. I want to be able to put my money into this service and get back what I asked for. You know, it seems pretty simple, but unfortunately it's not. And so we wanted to provide that higher level of quality of service and reliability and communication skills. And as a result, I've had to get more particular about who I will hire first and foremost, but secondly, who we will work with from a client capacity because I want to work with people who really, truly understand the value of their time so then they respect the value of our time. And, you know, I think that, you know, time is money. And mm. so if you can even get, let's say you bill at $300 an hour and you're a consultant or, or whatever it is, or you do speaking gigs and you get paid $10,000 for an hour on stage, you know, how valuable is that hour to you? It's very valuable. And so paying someone else, you know, for five hours a week or 10 hours a week at a fraction of your rate is essentially buying you time so that you can make more money with that time. The other thing I've noticed um, with time in, in specifically is sometimes our clients may spend 10 hours on something that we could do in five. So you're not only getting that time back, you're almost doubling that time in some ways. And that way you can bill your $300 an hour uh you know, time and then pay someone else, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 an hour to do those things that you are not uniquely qualified to do. So we are looking for, first of all, clients who understand the value of their time. And we have some exercises, you know, I, I launched this book in January and in the book, one of the exercises is called a life audit. And I see, I see entrepreneurs and people like us, uh, we don't stop at nine to five. And so I didn't want to just call it like auditing your work because it's really your whole life oftentimes is your business and your business is your life and everything is intertwined. And so I want our clients to be able to say, okay, what are all the things that I do on a day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week and hour-to-hour -hour basis that I really love. And I want to help our clients get to the point where 90% of the things that they're doing every single day are things that they love and that they're delegating or automating or just getting rid of the rest. And we can help in that department, that sort of automation delegation uh, realm. And, um, you know, I, I have definitely have, have had conversations with clients where they say, well, you're really expensive. And I just, I don't think I can afford that. And I say, okay, you know, that's great. There are other options out there that are cheaper than us. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to get what, you're pay what you pay for. And if, you know, having reliable and quality service is not as important to you, then you should go with somebody else because you can pay less money for, you know, getting work. And by the way, if you can find, you know, if you can find a unicorn, great assistant <laughs> that is cheap, fast and good, more power to you. I think that you should definitely hire them. Um, but in my experience, it's hard. You know, I, I always say, and this is a common phrase, you can pick two, yeah. you can pick cheap, fast or good, but you can't have it all. So, you know, if you want something that's done on time and it's done well, well, it's probably not going to be cheap.
If you want something cheap and fast, it's probably not going to be that great. So you just have to decide what your values are. And I try to get that out of of prospects Mm. when I first talk to them and try to understand, okay, what is this person's value? Because I don't need everybody to work with me. I need everybody to work with the right fit for them. And that's why I'm so particular because I don't think that it's just like a recipe that you can follow and all of a sudden it works. These are human relationships. And not everyone is going to have the same experience with the same assistant, you know, that somebody else would. So what, what Michael is to, is to make the right match and find the right fit, not to have everybody hire don't panic in my assistance. So usually what I try to say is, okay, if you if you understand the value of our time, if you're respectful, if you have a clear idea of exactly the tasks that you want to delegate, if you give clear and positive feedback, you know, including, I don't mind critical feedback as long as you're, you know, direct and kind about delivering that feedback. Um, those are some some traits that I look for in, in clients. And when I have those first uh, conversations with them, I can usually tell whether they're ready or not. And you know what? If they're not ready, that's okay. I have other things that they can do. You know, I have those audits. I have, you know, consulting packages that they can buy where I can help them, you know, operationalize what they're doing so that they can be ready for a virtual assistant. Um you know, I started this business because I love to help people. And I hate saying no to people (laughs) because I just want to help everyone, you know. Um, But I've learned that, you know, I really have to say no if they're not ready, because we're not going to have a successful relationship. And it's harder to have churn. You know, I don't want to work with someone for one month or two months or three months and have them leave. That sucks. That sucks for everybody. So I'd rather talk to people and try to develop a long-term relationship. You know, some of our clients have been with me for um, almost 10 years now um, because their their needs might change, but they as a client and and their their process doesn't necessarily. And if if they need to add a service that their current assistant doesn't have, we just throw another assistant onto to their team and they work together on that. And and like I said, those people who are really flexible, um, patient, open to ideas. Um, you know, I, we like when clients come to us with their their own process or their own way of doing things, but we also like when they're open to us saying, hey, did you know that there's a more efficient way? Mm. Or hey, did you know th- about this tool that can make your life a little easier? Um, so those are some things on the client side. Gotcha. Okay. So you've told us, and I absolutely love the description that you gave of who your <laughs> ideal clients are, what you're looking for. How do you actually go about like finding that, what you're actually looking for? Can you walk us through the process that you use to vet new clients? You mentioned some conversations. Is there an application mm-hmm. process? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? So when you um, want to work with Don't Panic, usually you find us, you find a form on our website and it's a general contact form. Um, and you say, I would like, this is my name, this is my email, all that stuff, but I would like this type, these kinds of services. And then there's a field where you can explain your, what your needs. Um, that's my first <laughs> touch point. And I can you know, see who is really organized and who really knows what they want just from that first form. I have some people who fill out the form and say, can you please call me? Oh, yeah. And then I have some people who fill out the form and say, it's so great to have found you. I really am curious about your services. These are the 10 things, you know, bullet point form that I was thinking about delegating. So there, it runs a gamut. I mean, some people are super clear and some people are just want me to give them a call. Um, I don't like getting on the phone. So <laughs> what, Same. What, it's like so annoying. I'm like, can you, can we just schedule a time? Like, I don't want to be call, caught off guard. Um which is funny because I always say, here's my phone number. Call me if you have an emergency, but like, I don't really want them to call me. Um, (laughs) but, um, so the next thing is I usually, if, if I can tell that they're maybe not quite ready based on, you know, they might say, Oh, I've never worked with an assistant. I'm just exploring my options right now. Okay, great. I usually will send them our pricing sheet. I will tell them that we need a little more information and can they fill out this form? We basically have like a pre-call intake form Mm. um, that has some questions and it's questions like, have you ever worked with an assistant before? Was your experience positive or negative? 
executive on a scale of zero to a hundred, do you need more admin stuff, which is on like the 50 and lower side or marketing stuff, which is on the 50 and higher side. And, you know, it's got different types of questions. You know, some are fill in the blank, some are yes, no, some are draft, you know, sliding scale. And um, that's another checkpoint for me to see, you know, do they, are they willing to put in some time here to get to know me, to get to know my company, to get to know my team and how well do they understand themselves? I think the biggest thing for us that we look for is whether or not the client is self-aware. So do they say, you know, I've gone through five assistants in five months and I think that I'm just not cut out for an assistant? Or do they say, I've been through five assistants in five months and I think it's me. I think mm. I need help. You know, we look for things like that, um, how how deep they've gotten in with working with someone or if they're kind of blase, like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I need. I just know I need help. So after we get that form, um, we use a lot of red, yellow, green systems. So basically red is like hard no, you know, mm -hmm. red flags left and right. I don't even want to have a conversation with this person. Yellow is like, I'm not sure. Um, maybe they were just having, maybe they were just feeling rushed. You know, they didn't fill out all the answers in the survey. Um, I'm just not sure. I need more information. And green is like very self-aware, very organized, very communicative, definitely want to have a phone call. So I, I'm as much as I don't like getting on the phone, I do think that a lot can be learned from talking on the phone with somebody. Some people just are not as good at email or written communications, but they're really great when you actually get them on the phone. So anyone that's a yellow or a green to me, I will call them or schedule a meeting with them. If it's a red, I'll say, you know what, I don't think you're ready or I don't think you're the right fit and I'll point them in another direction. So that tool of red, yellow, greening people after I get the survey and before I get on the phone is really useful. And, you know, and I try to take my own advice. You know, I need to protect my time just as much as I want clients to protect their time. And if I'm spending all my time on useless new business calls, that's not, that's not a good use of my role as a CEO. So, um, so that's that. And then, you know, once I get on the phone, we do another sort of red, yellow, green process. We ask them a lot of those questions, try to get more detail. Okay, well, what happened with your assistant? Why didn't it work out? Or if you've never had an assistant, what are you nervous about? What are the things that we need to keep an eye on, you know, to make you feel comfortable? Um you know, what tools do you like to use? Are you a morning person? Are you a night person? What time zone are you in? You know, we try to get all those questions answered. And then we red, yellow, green again. <laughs> we say, okay, do we want to take this person through to a proposal? Um, because you know, I, I wish I knew our close rate right now off the top of my head, but I don't. But usually if we can get to them to a proposal and we feel good about it and they have a sense of our pricing, they look at our proposal, the there's a really good chance that they're going to sign. But I don't want to send them a proposal if I'm not feeling good. Because I don't think that it's going to be a successful relationship. And even if they sign, it's going to be really hard. You know, like <laughs> at the end of the day, I didn't start this business to, to have my life be hard. <laughs> I wanted it to be easy. And, you know, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. But I want to work with people that I want to work mm -hmm. with. You know, it's not just about the money. It's about my day-to-day -day happiness. And why, you know, at this point in my career, when I can be a little more particular, would I choose to work with people that I don't get a good feeling about? Um, but, you know, like we've we, you know, I mentioned before, it's not just about feeling. And that's why we have this red, yellow, green system in place. Because I might say, oh, you know, Sally, she's so nice. She really needs our help. And my colleague, Jen, is always like, I'm like the good cop and she's the bad cop. So we work really well together. She's like, yeah, Jess, but did you see those 10 red flags? And, you know, we gave her a yellow and now she's a red. You know, she's not a good fit for us. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so it's, it makes it easier for me to say no when we kind of have those more objective, um, like ranking factors in place. Um, and it's not to say that you can't work with me, you know, maybe I help you, like I said, with some consulting operations consulting, but it means that you're not ready for a, a virtual assistant on retainer. 
And that's okay. You know, like I said, it's not, it's not for everyone. And I don't want to work with people that I don't think it's going to be a successful, positive relationship for everybody. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say that they say, I don't Mm want to work with people that aren't a perfect fit, but they haven't operationalized it the way that you have. And I am so glad that you shared the, the, the red, yellow, green system, because I think even building a system into your vetting process like that Mm -hmm. means that you are, you are creating the capacity for saying no to people, right? You're giving yourself a path for that. And that is so incredibly important. So you've just listed out a whole bunch of red flags that you're looking for with, with clients. And I, Mm -hmm. they're incredible. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned self-awareness as being one of the the positive things Mm -hmm. you look for. Clearly you have Mm -hmm. a high level of self-awareness around red flags too. Um, But I think red flags are often those some something where, you know, we get a feeling kind of in our gut. We have this intuitive hit mm-hmm. uh, for a red flag and we don't know whether we should listen to that or not. And, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things you actually mentioned to me in your pre-interview, too, was that too many small business owners end up going with their gut, not making objective decisions yeah. based on data. And I think it's, there's a balancing act there, right, where yeah. like the red flags often show up as uh, as gut checks, as intuitive hits, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you can't manage your whole business that way. So how right. are you making that balance? What's your personal process for finding the real red flags and, and kind of codifying mm-hmm. those or documenting those, looking for the hard evidence versus when you're, yeah, when you're maybe just you're a little off about something, or like you said, you know, you, you think somebody's really nice, but that's not necessarily, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a good client. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think it's important to hire people that are smarter than you (laughs) (laughs) and hire people who have different skills than you. Um, one of the girls on my team, um, has a really high, she's a really high emotional intelligence. And I am working on that, but <laughs> I don't have that same level. So that's why she manages the beginning of the hiring mm. process because she can get a good feel for people. So by the time the person gets to me, I ask them more objective questions and I evaluate more of their test projects and things like that. Um, but I think it's important important to have both, like you said. So um, I would, I, I like to start out by feeling what I'm feeling, but then I like to check that, fact check that against everything else I have in terms of information. So for example, let's say I'm hiring somebody, I'm in an interview with them, we're doing a video interview and they're sitting in their car and they have, you know, their headphones on, but I can tell they're using like a, like a phone or an iPad or something. Um, my gut on that is that they weren't really prepared and they weren't really organized. They didn't schedule this interview in a time where they could be their most focused and set up for success. Now, it could just be that some crazy thing happened that morning. Like they were supposed to be at their desk, but then their kid got sick and they're sitting in the parking lot of like the the doctor's office because they really want to talk to me and they didn't want to reschedule. You know, I don't really know what happens all the time. And I have to remind myself that, that, okay, my gut instinct was that maybe this isn't the right fit because they're sitting in their car. Um, but, but maybe something happened. And so I want to give them the benefit of the doubt on that, but then I'm going to take that. I'm not going to forget about that. And I'm going to take that feeling to whatever happens Mm -hmm. next. And what happens next in our hiring process, after they go through two interviews is they get, and, and if we think they're good, you know, if they get greens on the, on the interview, then they get sent a test project and the test project is actually really great. Um, and, and has an even more objective grading process because we actually have a rubric and it's eight questions. And each question is basically a red, yellow, green answer. And the reds are worth one point. The yellows are worth two points and the greens are worth three points. And what we do is we take all those questions, we add up their total and we divide it by eight so that we have an average. If they get a 2.5 or above, they can go to the next phase in the process. So if I see someone, like I said, who's sitting in their car and I get kind of a weird vibe, like maybe they're really frantic, maybe they're, you know, really nervous or talking really fast or something. And then I see their test project and they get like a two and I'm like, great. 
you know what, maybe my gut feeling was right in that point because they're actually not a good fit. They didn't pass the test project. But if I get that weird feeling and then they get like a 2.8, I'll say, okay, well, I'm not going to forget that I had that feeling. Maybe I'm going to have one more conversation with them and say, you know, is it common for you to be doing your work in your car (laughs) or do you have a stable place to work? You know, I mean, I think that's important for virtual assistants. So that's just one example of how I try to sort of fact check my gut instincts. I don't like to only go with my gut ever. Um, I will say that I also use my team. Like I said, I, I will say, you know, I get a weird feeling about this. Is anybody else? And just see, you know, if it's just me, then maybe we'll continue. If it's not just me, then that's a good way to say, okay, you know, if we're both feeling weird about this, it's mm-hmm. a no. Um, and we just try to say, you know, we try to use that rule. If it's not a hell yes, yeah. it's a no. Um, and luckily, you know, like I said, we're at a point where we get enough um, interest in, in working with us that we have the luxury of saying no more than we used to. And I think that's true for many businesses as they grow, they have more opportunities to pick the right people and pick the right situations that they really want to be all in for. And then just say, you know what, I, I really like you. It's nothing personal. You're just not a good fit for this company. And I think you're going to be able to find another fit that's best for you. Gotcha. After talking to over 120 small business owners on this podcast, after coaching entrepreneurs for almost 10 years, and after building a community designed for movers and shakers to get help on their ventures, I can tell you without a doubt, every business owner needs help from time to time. It doesn't matter whether you're Sarah Blakely, Anita Roddick, Mark Zuckerberg, or Oprah, you're going to need to lean on colleagues and mentors for support. So if every business owner needs help from time to time, why is it so hard to ask? Sometimes you don't really know what to ask about because the problem or opportunity is so complex. Sometimes you don't have a positive or safe network of peers you can trust and you fear finding one will cost you thousands of dollars. Sometimes you just don't know how to phrase your question or challenge without soliciting unhelpful advice or irrelevant responses. And sometimes you worry that asking for help makes you look less than capable as a business owner. At Co-Commercial, we have over a decade of experience observing business owners asking for help, receiving feedback, and making the most of it. We're facilitators, guides, and support instigators. The positive, safe, and constructive space we've built with our members gives us firsthand knowledge of what works and what doesn't when it comes to asking for help with your small business. We also place a huge value on helping people see how asking for help makes you look like a better small business owner. Not weak, not incapable, and not worse of all, stupid. The co-commercial team and I want to help make it easier for you to ask for help. So we're sharing our best tips for phrasing your questions, getting curious, and opening up to feedback on where you're struggling most. Join us for a free 90-minute live workshop called How to Ask for Help Without Getting Overwhelmed, Going Broke, or Worrying What Others Think. Here's what we're going to cover. First, why a big part of the problem with getting good help and support is actually asking for advice on your business ideas or strategy in the first place. Second, how to push past the fear of looking stupid or less than capable so you can get in on the conversations that will move your business forward. How to tackle complex, unwieldy, or just plain gigantic business questions without spending hours trying to explain every last detail what to say or share, including easy to use scripts in order to get the most useful feedback and stay in charge of your course of action. And finally, where to go to find quality help without paying a fortune for online courses or mentoring. By the end of this free workshop, you'll have a plan for getting the help you need without getting overwhelmed, going broke, or worrying what others think. To register, go to cocommercial.co slash help That's cocommercial.co slash help. So let's dive in a little bit more to the the virtual assistant side of things, because we talked about how you vet your clients, the clients who are working with the virtual assistants. Let's look at the virtual Mm -hmm. assistants too. So what constitutes, who constitutes the perfect VA uh, new hire for you? Oh, well, we have a set of values. This was another exercise. You know, we've done a lot of work, I would say, in the last two or three years of getting really clear about this stuff because, like I said, we had to differentiate ourselves from the other virtual assistants and the other agencies in the industry. Um, 
our values are not like, you know how to use Google Docs. <laughs> They're like, um, be reliable, be communicative, um, be neighborly. That's probably my favorite one is to be neighborly. And what that means is like, imagine, you know, if you had a neighbor and they brought you a cup of sugar in exchange for a cup of milk, you know, that kind of, that kind of attitude toward the work. So in, in the virtual assistant role, what that means is, Hey, how are you today? Or, hey, I noticed that um, I haven't heard from you in, in a couple of days. Are you really busy? Is everything okay? How can I help? Um, offering that that friendly, neighborly attitude to a relationship, I think, helps the client feel also like they know the person better, first of all. And when you know someone better, you trust them more. And ultimately, our best relationships are made when there's trust between the client and the assistant, because otherwise the client might say, well, I have this thing that I needed to get done really quickly, but like I wasn't sure if my assistant could do it, so I just did it. Like, no, don't do that. Like, that's not the point here. You need to give your assistant the work and you need to trust that they're going to be able to get it done. And if you never let them try, you'll never know. So, you know, having, we have weekly phone calls with our clients. Mm. We think that's really important in sort of building up that rapport and that trust. And we want our, we want them to have a little chit chat in the beginning. How is your week? How have things, how's your daughter, how was your daughter's graduation? You know, how's your dog doing? I mean, I got a puppy last year and like that was, all we talked about with some of my clients for like months. Um, but just kind of knowing that about people, um, being communicative, of course, is very important. We have all of our assistants submit, all of our potential assistants submit a writing sample. Um, that's not common. And it's especially not common for people who are looking for an admin job. But in today's world, I just think that written communication and verbal communication is so important because you're always talking, you're not always talking to people on a face-to-face. -face. In fact, you're almost never face-to-face. -face. So they can't see your body language. They can't see what what you're really trying to say, you need to be able to be very, very clear with your verbal communication skills. Um, so that's another one. And then, you know, being reliable, being proactive. You know, if I see something like that, my if I talk to my client and, and she's like, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't sure when I wanted to leave. So I just like went into JetBlue um, and I changed my flight. I'm like, okay, well, did you also change your hotel? Because <laughs> now you're going to be arriving a day early. And she goes, oh, no, I didn't do that. You know, so just trying to think to the next step. And that's another thing that we've tried to operationalize. We have templates for everything, like every kind of travel thing, every kind of podcast thing, writing, all of that stuff we have templates for so that if you're not particularly, particularly a proactive person, you can still be proactive by going through the template and saying, okay, if the flight changed, Changed, then change the car service, change the hotel room, mm -hmm. change it. You know, it's just a it's just a checklist. And so, you know, you can, like you said, you don't have to necessarily have it innately in your soul. I mean, we do look for that. But if you can follow a process and just start to think on the next level, you can still be successful. Um so yeah, those are a lot of things that we look for. And we, we don't, you know, they're very subjective. So we don't necessarily like to rate people against those values, but we do look at them. And if someone's missing one, like a big one, if they can't communicate well, for example, that's yeah. just a hard no. You know, it's just, it's not something that we can train really. And same thing with being neighborly. It's not a requirement per se, but I'm definitely more interested in working with someone that I can have a chat with, you know, about this or that than I am with someone who's just like a stone face and doesn't even care who I am or how I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I love that value of being neighborly. I might have to steal that one. That's so good. <laughs> so great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, when we thought of that, I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah. And immediately it strikes pictures of Mr. Rogers in my head too, yeah. which is a positive thing at any time. Totally. Um, so that's incredible. What, so we, again, we talked about kind of what constitutes a perfect client and how then you vet for those things. How are you vetting for the idea of what a perfect VA for Don't Panic is? 
Mm-hmm. Well, like I said earlier, we kind of have the, the whole hiring process is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, relatively intense, especially for a contractor position, yeah. essentially. Um, so you have to submit a cover letter, a resume and a writing sample to get started. There's also a whole form like how um, it's similar to our client intake form, but it's sort of a VA intake form. It's like, how much do you want to make per hour? Um, you know, we pay you on this schedule. Does that work for you? What's your time zone? What's your traditional work schedule? Just sort of those getting those questions answered off the bat um, so we understand a little more about who they are before we even, again, before we even hop on the phone with them. I'd rather know more going into it than less. Um, once they fill that out and we've taken a look at their materials and we think that they're good enough to pass through, you know, we red, yellow, green them. And if they're generally, if they're a yellow or a green, like we do with clients, they can come through to the first round of interviews. The first round of interviews is conducted by my colleague generally who has that high emotional intelligence that I was talking about earlier. Um, and then she decides based on that conversation, she'll red, yellow, green that conversation and then decide if they're good enough to pass to me. Um, and then I have, you know, a 30 minute, uh, video interview with them. And if I think that they could be a good fit, then I pass them on to the test project and the test project depends on what they want to do. So if they're a writer, we give them a writing test project. If they're an admin assistant, we give them an admin test project, um, et cetera, et cetera, because we want to be able to see in action whether or not they can do what they say they can, mm-hmm. they're going to do. Um, because people lie, unfortunately. Uh, and we don't want to get into a situation where we're assigning a new assistant to a client and they said they could do the work and they really can't. And we find out the hard way. Um, so we do the test project. We we follow the rubric. We usually give them about a week to do the test project. And we also follow really closely during that week. You know, are they asking questions? Are they delivering the project early? Um, are they at least delivering it on time? Mm-hmm. You know, they're immediately out of the running if they miss a deadline. Um, and don't communicate with us. I mean, if they're like, my mother just died and I have to go and make the arrangements. Okay. You know, like that is extenuating circumstances. We understand. We will loop back around when you're ready. Um, but if it's like, I mean, we just had one of these, we thought that she was going to be so great and she totally stopped, you know, communicating with us and missed her deadline for her test project. So, you know, she's out as far as I'm concerned. Um, I know it's funny. It's like you asked for this job and then you not following through. It's very strange. Um, once they get through the test project and they, and they actually pass, like I said, we, we look for an average of 2.5 or above, you know, I'm always like the best, the, the better, the, the test project result, the higher up they are in my list of people that I want Mm -hmm. to assign Mm -hmm. to clients. Um, but we always sort of, we're, all, we, we're sort of hiring on a rolling basis because we never know when clients are going to come through. So we like to have people sort of in the wings ready to accept, um, client work. And so that we're not, you know, left not being able to give the client what they need. Um, so yeah, once they, once they get through the test project and they pass, they're basically ready to be assigned work. And they're sort of on a three month probationary period when they first start working with us and they first get a client. And that's when, like I said earlier, myself or my chief client officer is really hands-on with the client and, and with the relationship to make sure that they're doing what the client needs and making sure that they're upholding our reputation. And, you know, reputation is the biggest thing for me. I have gotten most of my clients from referrals and word of mouth, and that's all because we have a positive relationship. And so I'm not willing to compromise on that. And I want to make sure that our our assistants are upholding our values and are doing the work that they they need to be doing for their clients. And so that's why we sort of handhold with them for the first three months. Um, once they get through that, then they're sort of like officially mm-hmm. onboarded and we put them on our website. We have a private Facebook group that's sort of like a fun um, place where our assistants can talk to each other, talk about their babies, talk about their client work, whatever they want. Um, and they're sort of, oh, and they're given an office. We have a virtual um, office tool called Sococo and they sort of get like an office. So, so yeah, it's sort of a three month trial and then, um, and then they're in and then they're on the team. Um, if something happens, we've also implemented, um, a sort of three Mm -hmm. strikes rule where if they really screw up, um, they get a strike. And what that means is they, they have to go back to like CCing us on everything and talking with us, you know, once a week and we make sure that they're correcting whatever the issue is. And, 
it's really, <laughs> when I think about it, I'm so strict about this. It's really not even a three strikes rule. <laughs> it's like a two strike rule because if you get another strike, yeah. I'm like, you're out. I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we do also have sort of those quality and, um, processes in place to make sure that they're not just coasting, that they're always continuing to deliver high quality work and that they're doing things on time and that, you know, we understand that mistakes happen or that, you know, sometimes a deadline has to be pushed. But the most important thing to us is that you communicate that because worst case scenario, if you say, oh my God, it's Wednesday, I have this project due Friday, but like this crazy thing happened, whatever it is. They, then we can jump in and we can do the work for that client. And that's sort of the beauty of having an agency, I think, is that we have access to all of their materials. We can go in and we can write that blog post or edit that podcast or whatever needs to be done. We can do that for them. And the client is none the wiser. The client doesn't care who does the work, you know, as long as it gets done. So we just need people who are going to communicate that with us and say, hey, I need help. And we're happy to do that as long as it's not like every week you've got a cold or something and you can't get your work done, uh, you know, once in a while. It's totally fine. Yeah, I so first off, I can't believe that we're already running out of time, but we're going to start wrapping up here. <laughs> but I just I mean, I hope that everyone listening is taking away the fact that, yes, you're paying attention to red flags, but the most important thing I think that you've done in terms of those red flags is creating systems around them. Yes. Um, systems, processes, they actually help you not only identify the red flags, which we've already established our guts can also do, <laughs> but they help mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. figure out when they're when they're kind of make or break things, when they're things we need to be paying more attention to. And they help just make the whole process more objective so that we don't have to get as emotionally involved in our businesses. And that is so huge, I think, for small business owners, no matter what kind of business they're in. Absolutely. Um, so absolutely incredible takeaway, I hope, for everyone. Um, kind of as we wrap up here, you, as you mentioned earlier, you had a book come out in January. Tell us more about the book and, and kind of how it's impacted your business. Yeah. So, um, I always was a writer, um, but I never thought I had enough <laughs> interesting things to say. <laughs> um, and uh, it's funny because my my friend and colleague, Chris Ducker, you, if you know anything about um, what he was doing a few years ago, he, sort of, he was sort of the VA yeah. guy. He has a, an agency in the Philippines. He's got like hundreds of people. And, and he wrote a book called Virtual Freedom a couple of years ago. And that was around the time when I was going to write my book. And I was like, ah, oh, he did it, you know? And I was like, I can't do it now. And I kind of got a little disheartened, which was silly. I shouldn't have done that. But this idea of my way of doing things and my way of, you know, my processes, like we talked about, the rubrics, the red, yellow, green system, all of that stuff, I knew, I started to realize that, that that's mine. That's my voice. Even if he says some of the same things about like picking a virtual assistant, I still have my own way of doing things. And my goal was that, you know, you could read his book and my book and pick out the things that work for you. I think that's, um, the most important thing with any of these kinds of relationships is is knowing who you are, like I said, being self-aware, most important, but then um, gathering information from different places and and using what works. Uh, full circle back to the podcast. <laughs> um, but, but I realized, so yeah, I, I felt like I had something to say. I felt like my process was different and I felt like it was time to um, put that into a book because... <laughs> for everyone who's listening, writing a book is one of the best things you can do to boost your thought leadership in an industry. And I cannot believe it. I have to tell you. I mean, I I spent 10 days, actually really eight days last summer writing 5,000 words a day. I was holed up in a cabin um, just writing every single day. And, and that's how I was able to get the first draft done. But basically from July, I did that in July. And then six months later, my book was published. I self-published. Um, I used an editing team and a graphic design team and a, a formatting team to help me you know, lay it all out. But six months. I mean, it wasn't, it was freaking hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but like it's, it, it, you know, when everyone said, I can't believe you did that, you know, it's like, well, I just did it, you know, and anyone can do it, I think. And I think it's worthwhile because 
it does now put me in a place where I'm more of an expert and people can see me for for not only writing, you know, a 365 page book or whatever it is, um, but also for just knowing my stuff and being able to talk intelligently about it. And so it's been really great um, to have that also as a takeaway. Like I said, I really like to help people and I hate not being able to give them something. So if I speak to a prospect and I don't think they're a good fit yet, I'll just send them a copy of the book. You know, hey, read this. You know, maybe there this will help you um, start to wrap your head around what having a virtual assistant can really look like and help you identify more of what you want your virtual assistant to do. And so just for that reason, it's been so great. I mean, they could read 10 blog posts and probably do the same thing, but having it all in a physical book is just been amazing for me. Um, plus, you know, the speaking gigs and, you know, it just sort of elevates your credibility and, and that's been really great. So, um, yeah. So if anyone's interested in learning more about how to hire, train and work with a virtual assistant, or if you want to go through that life audit exercise, it's all in the book and it's at panicproofbook.com. Um, you can also get everything on my website at jessostroff.com. Perfect. Well, we will include all of that in the show notes and make it really easy uh, for people to to take a look at it and buy it and uh, get in touch with you too, because I know everyone's going to be clamoring for your virtual assistant services now too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, Jess Ostroff, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your process, talking to us about how you spot red flags, and most importantly, how, what that actually means for your business and how you handle that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Find out more about Jess Ostroff at jessostroff.com. Check out the services Don't Panic Management offers at don'tpanicmgmt.com. And find her book, Panic Proof, at panicproofbook.com. What Works is brought to you by CoCommercial. Okay, so what exactly is CoCommercial? CoCommercial is a social network, event producer, and support hub, especially for small business owners in the digital space. We know you want to turn the business you've started into something that will stand the test of time, provide for you and your family, and help your customers transform their lives or work. We connect you to people who get the obstacles you're facing as an entrepreneur. We produce events to educate, connect, and inspire you on your journey. We're a community of business owners who help you find creative solutions to your unique challenges without reinventing the wheel. Here's how it works. Step one, join CoCommercial. Step two, share a challenge, obstacle, question, or setback you're currently facing in your business. Step three, get personalized answers from a diverse community of experienced business owners. Step four, never waste time on Google or Facebook trying to find answers for your business again. We're not another online course. We're not a free group where you get lost in a sea of self-promotion. We're not a cut and paste template for doing business online. And we're not aiming to teach you a hundred new things you don't have time for. We're here to support you on your journey. We hope you get back on track and back to running, managing, and growing your business as quickly as possible. No fluff, just personalized, just-in-time answers to your biggest and smallest questions. Ready to give it a try? Request your invitation to the network today. Go to cocommercial.co. That's cocommercial.co. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.